Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Welcome to the Piketon Massacre, a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. This is episode 10, Wild Country. In this episode, we're going to be answering a bunch of questions we've received over social media. We are also going to be going deeper into some subjects we've only touched on and talking about some stories we haven't been able to tell. I'm Courtney Armstrong. I work at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. Just as a legal reminder, Angela, Billy, Jake, and George Wagner were charged with aggravated murder. Angela Wagner's mother, Rita Jo Newcomb, and Billy Wagner's mother, Frederica, were both charged with obstruction of justice and perjury. Newcomb was also charged with forgery. All six of them pled not guilty, and our justice system presumes innocence until guilt is proven. Allie from Ormond Beach, Florida, asked us about the drugs and how they relate to the case, and if there's anything else in the Piketon area that pertains to drugs that we should know. So one of the big theories behind the murders we explored was drugs um, and the fact that the rodents did have a pretty large marijuana grow operation on their property. But it's not just specific to the rodent or even specific to Piketon. The immediate area is kind of a, a hotbed that's been affected by drugs in myriad ways. For starters, there's not a ton of jobs and that has really taken a toll on the town and just generally speaking, Ohio. And the southern part of the state has been devastated by drug abuse, mostly prescription painkillers and heroin. In Pike County, the drug overdose mortality rate from 2014 to 2018 was more than 71 deaths per 100,000 population. The rate for the rest of the country was 27 deaths per 100,000. That's nearly three times the mortality rate of the rest of the country. A lot of these drugs come in from Portsmouth. Portsmouth, Ohio, is the neighboring town to Piketon, so about a 15-minute drive. I spoke to investigative reporter James Pilcher, who did an incredibly deep dive into Portsmouth, into the larger picture of what's happening in southeastern Ohio. Portsmouth, which is um, in the next county over on the river south of Pike County and Piketon, is known as ground zero for the pill mill epidemic. That's where pill mills and the opioid epidemic is known to have had a major hotspot way early on 
in the late 1990s, early 2000s when OxyContin first hit the market. And tell me what a pill mill is. A pill mill is where a doctor who, for whatever reason, isn't there to see clients, somebody just shows up and he just hands them a prescription for money. And then they get the prescription there, and then right next door is a pharmacy, and then they just put it in. And then they, those people get the pills. Because it's legal in that state, they might drive them home to Florida and then sell them for 10 times the price or trade them or whatever. But it was unregulated in Ohio at the time. And Kentucky was bad, too. Kentucky had the same issues. So right there, in Portsmouth's right there on the Ohio River bordering Kentucky. So you had both sides of the river. So there were cars lined up from Florida and West Virginia and Georgia up and down all over town for a decade. And it just ravaged the city, which had already been decimated by, you know, the pullout of industrialization. And so all of that kind of flooded in. You have all of these, you know, an economically depressed area. All of a sudden, addiction becomes a major, major issue. People are driving from all over the country because it's easy to get the pills there. And then, of course, there's also the people who get into kind of the illicit activities to make money, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. A cottage industry of crime and drug-associated crime kind of sprung up and, you know, started to do my own reporting on it. So one of our editors worked as the managing editor of the Portsmouth Daily Times, which is the daily newspaper there, in the early 2010s. And so he was very familiar with the rumors that had been circulating around about Michael Moran. Moran had already been a city councilman, but he wasn't on city council anymore. But he was still well-known within the legal circles and Chamber of Commerce, and he did some work, pro bono work, uh, about uh, legal defense. But he always seemed to have a pretty girl on his arm. In December of 2018, a now former reporter with that newspaper put out on Facebook segments of a federal affidavit from the Drug Enforcement Administration, which basically laid bare and put out for public viewing that the federal law enforcement was investigating the very same rumors that had been following Moran around for years that he was running girls and running drugs and that this was who he was. It's important to note that Michael Moran has not been arrested or charged with any crimes. Also, that Moran has categorically denied all of this. My editor at the time, and I was working as an investigative reporter at the Cincinnati Inquirer, said, would James be interested in taking a look at this? And I'll be honest, I thought I didn't think it was real at first. I thought there was no way that this is as bad as it, as they say it is and whatever. So I took a drive out there. They partnered, partnered me with a uh, woman photographer whom we went out there a couple of times. And I'll never forget it. We were doing some B-roll shoot shots in front of a pseudo-abandoned shoe factory with graffiti about hookers and things like that. And a guy comes running up and says, what are you doing? And I told him, and I said, by the way, have you ever heard of Michael Moran? He says, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy runs women. So (laughs) this was not a secret in Portsmouth. Everybody knew the rumors and had known somebody that knew somebody that had worked for him. It was going on. That he was running women all over the country. He was promising women drugs for sex. He had relationships with judges and with members of law enforcement, all of it. 
So, you know, all of this is in this federal document. We're talking about it's a human trafficking, right? Yes. So, so you know, some people, and this is an interesting distinction. Some people will say, oh, well, these women knew what they were doing. They were just trying to make money. Well, if you talk to the experts, it went one step beyond that. It went into trafficking because Moran was holding over them, A, the fact that they were drug addicts. I mean, he would withhold their money or withhold their money or wherewithal to get drugs, which under federal statute and Ohio statute is a form of trafficking. B, he was ostensibly promising more lenient sentences because he had friends in the legal system. I'd like to point out here that we reached out to Michael Moran as well as the prosecutors involved. Neither side got back to us with comment. So I talked to some folks, but getting those first initial people to talk, that was their big fear. Is they, they, These women just weren't afraid to go to jail. They were afraid for their lives. And the reason they were afraid for their lives is the, is the name of one woman, and that's Megan Lancaster. Megan was a known prostitute in the late 2000s in Sierra County. If you talk to her sister-in-law and you talk to other people who knew her, she worked for Mike Moran. Megan got hooked on drugs early on in high school, shortly out after high school. If you talk to her sister-in-law, who has led the charge, um, she started partying later in high school and then out of high school. And that led her into, according to our sources, into the circle of Moran. So Moran would hire her out for bachelor parties and, um, you know, Katie Lancaster, her sister-in-law, even tells the story about her running into Megan wearing Christmas lingerie in a Walmart, picking something up on her way to a Christmas party where she was the entertainment for a bunch of Moran's friends. And she mysteriously disappeared. So we can't even say she was murdered. Her car was found with blood on it. The door was left wide open, half parked in a local fast food joint there in downtown Portsmouth. And they've not found hide nor hair of her. And I can tell you, there are a lot of places in Seattle County where you can hide a body. It's full of hollers and dips and, and forests. And it's, it's wild country. It really is wild country. The glaciers came through and cut a bunch of stuff. And it's, it's beautiful, but it's also wild country. And a slew of women went, went missing or got killed that were addicted prostitutes, um, sex workers up in Ross County in Chillicothe, which is two counties to the north. Since 2010, more than a dozen women have either been killed or gone missing in Ross County, which is the county north of Pike County, which is probably an hour 45 minutes north of Piketon in Chillicothe. So Megan, a lot of people theorize that Megan might have been wrapped up in something that got those women killed. But there's a lot of thought and there's a lot of um, theory or rumor that, no, that, that was separate from what happened to her. And what happened to her points back to possibly Michael Moran. That he would want to silence her for some reason. Yeah, these are powerful men taking advantage of addicted, unempowered women. And so how would you, like Michael Moran, in tying this back to the Roden case, Michael Moran and the situation in Portsmouth, I think just speaks to this community, which I think includes Piketon, as 
people, you know, these men in power are kind of doing what they want. And, you know, when you look at Sheriff Reeder, who handled the investigation for the road and murder, he was also doing what he wanted. You know, now he's indicted on all these charges of, uh, you know, theft from the county. Yeah. And so, you know, you can, the, the parallel, if you're wanting to make a parallel to the Roden case, is absolutely either A, you had ineffectual or corrupt or both law enforcement, right? You had a community or a culture of lawlessness that has descended on upon many places in rural America. I will also say there's a major issue in small town America with the quality and quantity of, of law enforcement that happens there and the lack of accountability because nobody's watching. You might be wondering how the crimes in Portsmouth fit into the Roden family case. While we probably know that Michael Moran and what's happening in Portsmouth is not directly related to the Roden murders, it does speak to the distrust and lack of accountability in law enforcement. It's this idea that all these men in power, from judges to attorneys, are involved in these crimes and their cover-ups. It raises a pretty unnerving question. Who do you trust if you can't trust elected officials and law enforcement? Furthermore, this influx of drugs and lack of accountability from law enforcement and the haphazard way Piketon authorities tried to recover some seemingly very important evidence is basically exactly what reporter James Pilcher outlined so well in his work. Yeah, it seems really systemic in the area and specifically to Piketon, and that impacts everything from the top down. Let's stop here for a quick commercial break. We'll be back in a moment. of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. 
This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Michael Ann from Hoboken, New Jersey, asked if there were any other personal stories we'd heard from people along the way that hadn't made it into the podcast. And uh, here are a few that stand out to us. The relationship between Frederica Wagner and Angela Wagner, her daughter-in-law, has been the basis of a lot of conversation, that it was a troubled relationship and that Angela and her husband were vicious fighters. And we even have heard from a very close source that Angela would actually have to put a little sedative in Billy Wagner's shakes every day because that would lower his temper and that's how she would survive the day. It just paints a picture whether this is true or not. Here, Angela enters the Wagner family. She's feuding with her now mother-in-law, the matriarch of the family, Frederica. Her husband, I don't know how tall he actually is, but he's a tall presence of a man and, you know, allegedly hot-tempered. So... Angela is trying to survive this new dynamic, homeschooling her boys and sedating her husband and feuding with her mother-in-law. It just paints a very complicated picture. It does. And because I can be pedantic of allegedly drugging (laughs) her husband. Allegedly. But other stuff we did here, because I spoke to the same person who was a family member. It was someone who was a family member. They were there. This is apparently a firsthand account. Correct. And part of that, which I thought also painted such an interesting picture, was, like you said, the Wagners were known fairly widely to have get into it with the fights. And what this source said to us was that she was at the family home, at the Wagner family home, and she commented that Angela had very many decorative baskets all over. And she said, those are very beautiful. And and Angela allegedly said, well, every time we get into a fight and Billy needs to apologize, he buys me another basket because I like him. And so just picturing this house filled with decorative baskets, each one emblematic of an argument, just an interesting picture. Here's a rich question, and it comes from Erin from Malvern, New York, and she asks, how does Sheriff Reader play into the investigations and how might he play into the upcoming court trials? He complicates this. I mean, he's been accused of many things in court documents filed just last month. They allege Reader of misappropriating about $15,000 in seized funds and borrowing $6,000 from employees, which can be seen as coercion. 
The records also accuse him of circumventing rules at auctions to improperly get impounded vehicles for his family, so to his benefit. Additionally, the court alleges that Reeder on June 2017 seized $7,000 that prosecutors call, quote, possible proceeds of drug trafficking. So these are charges that have gone for several years. And there's even new allegations that charge him in engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity, which is a first-degree felony. And prosecutors have long used the charge as a way to attack organized crime figures and major drug dealers by seeking long prison sentences. So the fact that they're using this against a sheriff is interesting strategy. You know, the issue is now that his character is being called into question. And according to sources we've talked to, the criminal justice experts agree that the re- that if Reader is found of any wrongdoing, it could pose obstacles for the prosecution in the trials against the Wagners. You know, Reader was the front man of making everybody feel at ease that the investigation was being handled, but frankly, was kind of doing a messy job from the jump. Yeah, I mean, in theory, you could look at every single case Sheriff Reader took the lead on and wonder what he was doing behind the scenes in order to make an arrest, which would include the rodent investigation. On the other side of that, though, you know, what experts are saying is that the prosecution might argue to the judge on the case that Reader's criminal history isn't relevant to the Wagner trials and thus shouldn't be heard by a jury. And they'll do that by downplaying his role in the investigation. And if that becomes the case, then it won't necessarily be a a death blow to the state's case. Another expert was quoted as saying in the press, officers are human beings like everybody else. And so sometimes juries can weigh in on that and decide what kind of credence they want to give to his behavior. Sheriff Reeder also potentially jeopardized the investigation by having the rodents' cars and mobile homes moved off site, which attorney Mike Allen and investigative reporter Jody Barr talked about in episode five. So Sheriff Reeder's involvement is far reaching and it has the potential to affect in multiple ways, not only during the investigation, but moving forward with the trials. Yeah, there was something else early on in the investigation that happened that really did cause a stir, and that's the rodent autopsy reports. And for some reason, these were held up in being released to the media outlets, which is something that happens occasionally in criminal cases, but it garnered a lot of attention specifically with the rodent case. Probably the reason why is oftentimes autopsies are not released to the public because there might be a tell or something very significant in those autopsy reports. For example, this is just top of head, not related to the Wagner or Roden case at all. If somebody had a certain tattoo marking or had been cut in a certain way that only the perpetrator slash killer would know, then authorities don't want that information to be wildly known because it's something that would be helpful to know if there was a confession, for example. So if somebody confessed, they would know that information. So that is not entirely uncommon. Although in this case, it seems that was not the reason why. Yeah, it's speculated that it's not the reason why. And this is this went actually all the way up to the Ohio Supreme Court. Two outlets, the Columbus Dispatch and the Cincinnati Inquirer, sued the state for the right to the autopsies. The suit was filed against the Pike County coroner, David Kessler, and that came after the dispatch was denied three separate times, officially asking for the final autopsy reports. And what the dispatch's claim was, was that the final autopsy reports are of great public interest and, quote, significant value to the dispatch and our news gathering activities. 
The authorities really were apprehensive to release the autopsy information, arguing that the release could hinder the investigation. I wonder, just to harp on this a little longer, like, what what was the city, like, what was Pike County really trying to protect, you know, four times, three times seems like a lot of times to continue to fight the release of this. And now that we know what they say, like, what in there was so damning to the investigation? You know, it just, like, seems like a lot. Well, I actually spoke with attorney Jack Grenier, and he was one of the lawyers who filed the suit on behalf of the dispatch, and he had some really compelling thoughts. You have to kind of wonder, in light of the the trouble that the sheriff ultimately got into, what was motivating the desire to keep things kind of quiet, because this is a pretty good example of, in my view, law enforcement overreacting. And I, and I, I say that kind of cautiously because, you know, it, it, say it was multiple murders in a, a gruesome situation. But I think the idea of, um, you know, you just have to uh, withhold as much information as you possibly can from the public and even maybe more information than you're allowed to uh, withhold is to me an overreaction and i think we saw that in this case you know that somehow you know if any piece of information got out there it would somehow derail the whole investigation i just i just don't buy into that the inquirer really argued that it was in the public's best interest to know what the autopsy said and to review i mean what we learned from the autopsies is pretty important in terms of what happened to the rodents, we learned how many times they were shot, where they were shot, which really did speak to how personal the crimes were. Some of these family members were shot multiple times in the face with a shotgun. And so if this was a drug cartel hit, you know, it wasn't once and quick. It was personal and it was an overkill, which is what we learned from the autopsies. Once these autopsies would be released, here we go again, more questions with few answers. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Thankfully, we have this information and we could actually really look at these autopsy reports in great detail. And uh, I can speak for myself saying it was really dark and twisted when you really do see just how much, to your point, Jeff, of an overkill this really was. Yeah, it made me think like what releasing this autopsy would do to the town of Piketon and in speaking to a fair amount of the residents and just the feeling of uncertainty I don't know how it would, if it was a good thing or a bad thing, because the people in Piketon were thinking it was a drug cartel who did this uh, prior to the autopsy release. And that created a sense of fear. But then I think after the autopsies were released, people started circling in on the Wagners and really thinking they did it, which created a whole other set of problems in terms of this kind of small town justice that the Wagners faced, whether they deserve it or not, um, creates a whole new problem for the sheriff's office. Let's stop here for another quick break. We'll be back in a moment. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. 
It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zinn Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zinn create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zinn is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zinn is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zinn won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zinn. Find your Zinn online or in a store near you at zinn.com find. That's zyn.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So we were talking about the informant, which we've covered in the past, but I know there's been some other questions out there. Yeah, so uh, Woody from Comac, New York, asked us on social media about the likelihood that the informant is, in fact, one of the Wagner Four. I'm obsessed with understanding more about the informant personally. So you definitely think it must be a family member who turned. Must is a strong statement. I think the likelihood, I think it seems likely only because if this family allegedly did commit this careful, careful, planned out murders that they spent months planning, why would they then be so careless and have someone else involved enough with the information that they could turn state's evidence? So to me, it says that if they kept it all within the family, then necessarily it would have to be someone in the family. It's unknowable at this point, but that's what makes sense to me. Is it possible that it's Rita, Angela Wagner's mother, because she would have maybe been witness to some of these conversations? I mean, it's possible that it's any of them. Assuming it's one of the four, let's just play this out for a second. If Courtney, if you're correct, and it's one of the four of the Wagners that are the accused... To me, if one of them was going to fold, George, the eldest son, seems the most likely. And for that, I say simply because he had the least amount of skin in the game. If he wasn't fighting for his niece solely, 
you know, he wasn't, you know, maybe supercharged by love the way Jake was. He wasn't supercharged about protecting his children the way Angela maybe was about her son, Jake, and her granddaughter. We know the dads potentially had some sort of a confrontation leading up that could be, you know, charged by emotion. But that said, he turns. Now he's the one asking for solitary confinement and a Bible. The fact that they were trying to get George Wagner off on bail very recently, that would speak to this as well. That A, he's the informant. B, just through the basic ways that you would be released from prison on bail, they made that attempt. It was unsuccessful on the behalf of the defense, but that is interesting strategy. By the way, how shocking would this be if George Wagner, the eldest son, had to actually appear in court and testify against his mother and his father and his younger brother, Jake? That would be shocking. So while it is all speculation, it is all possible. And several reputable sources have said it's not the most unlikely thing. Just as a legal reminder, Angela, Billy, Jake and George Wagner were charged with aggravated murder. Angela Wagner's mother, Rita Jo Newcomb, and Billy Wagner's mother, Frederica, were both charged with obstruction of justice and perjury. Newcomb was also charged with forgery. All six of them pled not guilty, and our justice system presumes innocence until guilt is proven. Jody Barr, who we heard from throughout the course of this podcast, has summed up pretty well how the three of us feel about this case. So, I mean, this is a case that I think about it, I'm pretty sure, every day. And, you know, again, that's why I'm, I'm very eager to hear from, you know, I, I just want to see this trial. I, I want to know more about what happened here and if they really do have the right people. Sounds like they do. I mean, these indictments are very lengthy, very detailed. But that's only one side of this. I want to hear from the Wagners and uh, see if they have an explanation because at the end of the day, when, when this the last trial is held, in the last jury, if it gets to that point, you know, I would hope that the Roden family can walk out of that courtroom and know for sure that the people who did this are, are the people who go to prison for it. I can't think of a better way to uh, hand down justice. We've talked about this a lot and people ask us, you know, why we work in crime investigations in general. And I think the truth is victims have a voice even after death and for us we really do want to share our deepest sympathy with the Roden family I think the point of this podcast is to really angle towards shining a light on the injustices that the Roden family faced and help bring a sense of closure and answers to the surviving Roden family well, I think also when the Wagners finally do have their day in court, our hope is that the Rodins finally see justice. Piketon Massacre is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by executive producer Jared Aston. Additional producing by Jeff Shane and Andrew Becker. The Piketon Massacre is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
welcome our Pike County Dogwood Festival Queen. Lord, I just thank you for bringing us all together as a community. Who could have killed eight family members in one night? I lost my best friend, and I will never be the same because of that day. Four crime scenes, no DNA, no witnesses. The killer left those children laying in their mother's blood. The word that comes to mind is overkill. Who was the mastermind? I'm telling you, if they frame us, I'm not sitting in prison. One thing I learned, the smaller the town, the bigger the secrets. Be sure to watch our upcoming documentary, The Pike County Murders of Family Massacre, premiering on NBC Universal's Oxygen Network and also streaming on Peacock this Thanksgiving Day weekend, November 24th and November 25th. Please check your local listings, and our hearts are with the Rodins and the Gilly families. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free at 